Today's episode of Something to Wrestle With is brought to you by our friends at SaveWithBruce.com. And Bruce, who am I kidding? That's not our friends. That's me and you, man. What would Dusty say about saving some money by getting out of that old cramped apartment and getting into a brand new house with no money down? He said, baby, why is it every time that you go and you pay that rent, it's, 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 it's just flush your money down the toilet. If you're going to flush your money down the toilet, by the way, give it to me. But better yet, you might as well pay yourself. Get a home where your payment goes to something that you actually can keep. And it's Save With Bruce, that's what we do. Even if you got a lot of debt, you got like a car payment, you got a bunch of credit cards all leaped up in there, let's consolidate that with your mortgage into one low, low, low monthly payment. Save money at SaveWithBruce.com. That's exactly right. You don't need perfect credit. You don't need money out of your pocket. But if you're in a 30-year loan, if you've got a second mortgage, if you've got credit card debt, it's not a matter of if we can save you money. It's a matter of how much, and it's free to find out right now. But maybe best of all, if you're throwing your money away on rent, let's give your family a home with the help from First Family. Check it out right now at SaveWithBruce.com. That's SaveWithBruce.com. NMLS number 65084, Equal Housing Lender. Welcome to something to wrestle with. Bruce Pritchard. Bruce Pritchard. Well, you know. That's not a rib. She pooted. She pooted. What a rib. No, you have a There's no box of gimmicks. Rumor and innuendo. I don't deal in rumor and innuendo. Was he there? I was there. I don't give a shit. <laughs> I ain't scared of shit. I ain't scared of shit. Fuck him. Fuck you, Bruce. I love you. Double cheeseburger. Double cheese. Double mayo. Hey, hey, it's Conrad Thompson, and you're listening to Something to Wrestle with. Bruce Pritchard. Bruce, what's going on, man? How are you? Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. Well, man, I'm excited to talk about something besides 9-11. I'm glad we were able to do that show last week. I know it's a show you've wanted to do for quite a while. And one of our most requested shows, and I got an incredible amount of feedback from people who didn't really know what to expect when we covered the first SmackDown after 9-11. What was the feedback you got? Well, most of it that I got was pretty positive, and I think that people liked it. You know how we covered it what we covered and so on and so forth it was an emotional day not just for us but my god for the country so it was an opportunity to revisit and tell some stories about some other things that were happening on the most tragic day of probably our lives yeah without question and we're excited to uh move on to something a little more lighthearted, a little more fun today with unforgiven 2008 but before we do we do need to circle back and thank everybody for coming out to see something to wrestle with John Layfield, because that's exactly what happened last weekend in San Antonio, man. JBL has stolen the show. Every time he's joined us for some reason, he was able to join us in San Antonio and man, when he's there, I can just set the microphone down and drink a beer because he's got one story after another. I heard multiple people say. They heard more wrestling stories that they'd never heard before at that show than any other. What was the feedback you got about something to wrestle with JBL? Yeah, we didn't need to be there. So it was, uh, <laughs> you know, 
it was a lot of fun. I always enjoyed John. And I think that the more that he has the opportunity to get out in front of people and let people see who John Layfield really is, the more that I think people open their arms welcoming. Welcome me, knee, knee. Is that right verbiage? Yeah, we'll go with that. You know, I, I got to oh. tag on to what you're saying there. I had only ever read about quote unquote JBL. And so I had a certain predisposed opinion of him before I actually met him. He could not be a more charming dude. And he is, I don't, I don't know another way to say it. Fucking hilarious on stage. So if you get an opportunity to, or you have the privilege, cause we don't ever advertise guests, but if you happen to be there, the next time he joins us, you are in for a treat. That dude is a hoot. Uh, let's also talk about when you can see us next though we've got lots of feedback about us going to the world famous kowloon and if you live in the northeast you know all about kowloon and you need to know that we're going to be there on october 21st these saugus wings apparently are world famous now and uh hopefully bruce and i get to dig into some of those i didn't have very many saugus wings i had pretty much everything else on the menu but i'm looking forward to oh being there on October 21st. Then you don't know what you're missing, man. We are going to be in the comedy club at Kowloon, so that is going to be a blast. We, you know, it's in the restaurant upstairs, but it is actually a separate club, and I'm so looking forward to that because it's going to be a blast because I like Boston. I Absolutely. Like Bo- I like Boston not in the winter, though. Well, grab your tickets. Go ahead, and uh, you can call Kowloon, or you can check out BrucePritchard.com for more ticket information. And that's where you can find all the information you need about our return to Los Angeles. We're going to the Regent Theater, as Bruce would say, on Saturday afternoon, November 17th. And then a week later, we're going to be in Winston-Salem, North Carolina for WrestleCade. We've got a special show, uh, WrestleCade weekend. So if you're making plans to be in Winston-Salem for that big event, you should certainly pick up tickets to see Bruce and I. You can find out all the information about Los Angeles and Winston-Salem all at BrucePritchard.com. Of course, we're also taking a trip across the pond, I think is what they say. We're going to uh, Ireland and England and everywhere in between. Give them a rundown on the, la- on the dates here, Bruce. Well, December 4th, we're going to be in Glasgow. Uh, the 5th, December 5th in Belfast or Ireland. Then we're going to go to England where we will be in Birmingham on the 6th, London on the 7th, Bristol on the 8th, and Liverpool. We're going to finish up the tour in Liverpool on December the 9th. And all you got to do is head on over to BrucePritchard.com to get tickets that's going to be fun it will be fun and uh, after the first of the year you can check us out in phoenix arizona we're going to be there in january and we're working on some information right now bruce on when we might be in colorado springs as well so stay tuned for that all the ticket information you need is at brucepritchard.com there's lots of rumor and innuendo surrounding some other dates and towns like cleveland and minnesota and on and on and on so stay tuned we'll be coming your way soon enough and hopefully you're going to be there looking good and feeling good thanks to ageless male max because they've got a patent pending formula with an ingredient to help you boost your total testosterone and you're going to love the way you feel because they boast an amazing 64 percent increase in nitric oxide which can be handy in the gym or in the bedroom and now you can take your manhood to the max by trying a 30-day bottle for how much, Bruce? 
absolutely free. All you have to do is pay shipping and handling. And we're talking an entire 30-day supply, not 10, 15, but a full 30-day supply. When you text the word SLAM to 797979, it's finally a formula to boast your total testosterone. And if your results with Ageless Male Max are too intense, please decrease the use. For your free bottle, text SLAM. S-L-A-M to 797979. That's SLAM to 797979 message and data rates apply. Let's get into it, Bruce. Unforgiven 2008 went down on September 7th, 2008 at the Quicken Loans Arena right there in Cleveland, Ohio, where the rumors are swirling about us maybe doing a show there. They had about 9,500 fans in the arena, and basically the entire upper deck was curtained off except for a small section facing the hard camera. Why do you think that was? What was missing in the WWE business at the time? Why was it a little, I don't know, less than hot, shall we say, here in the fall of 2008? Did you watch the show? Yeah, I watched the show. (laughs) And I guess we should talk about that because they're doing decent business. Uh, September of 07, you guys ran an Unforgiven show and you did 12,000 paid. A year later here, just 8,500 paid. The gate's also down as a result. You did 550,000 in September of 07, half a million here in September of 08. And buys are down a little bit too. You did 220,000 buys in September of 07, but in September of 08, it's 211,000 buys. Uh, The actual difference in revenue means 3.8 million in pay-per-view revenue compared to 3.65. I mean, if you had to look back and it's easy to sort of armchair quarterback, some of this stuff, and it's clear that the company had a certain feeling or I don't know, they carved off some of the blame. It certainly feels like to CM Punk. And I'm sure we'll talk about that in a minute. What do you think it is all these years later with the benefit of hindsight, 10 years later, what was it about WWE? What was WWE missing here in 08? Oh, it was a lot of injuries, and I think it was just bad timing. We had edit. I think Edge was injured, Randy Orton was injured, John Cena was injured, so there was a lot all at the same time, right. and we were kind of regrouping and and reshifting everything with the talent that we had, trying some different things, and it just it was a transitional period. Vince was always one of these people that will say, "I'll take uh, two steps backward to take three." St- three steps forward. It may take us some time to build. And that's what was happening at this point. Let's talk about some company news sort of leading into unforgiven. And we get lots of questions about this and I never really know when we can fit it in, but here it is on July 28th, the WWE hired the actor Freddie Prince jr. To be on the creative team. He's 32 at the time, the son of a famous television star of the seventies. And of course he never really knew his dad. I think Uh, junior was maybe like 10 months old when his dad passed away, but he starts on the July 28th raw right there in Washington, DC. He's a huge fan and he's been to a lot of the major events and he's done some articles and videos for the website written from a fan perspective and Meltzer would write, this surprises me because being uncreative is a 24 seven high burnout job and he still gets regular acting gigs. So I think most people remember him from the, the lead role. And I think it was 1999. She's all that. And he made a lot of like most beautiful people lists and people's magazine and things like that. And 
he did some stuff with Scooby-Doo and did a lot of television. He was on prison break and it is sort of out of left field. Melcher would write that really the only two people on the creative team who knew ahead of time were Michael Hayes and Brian and everybody else found out on the way to the show. Chat me up here. Is this more of a publicity stunt? Is this, um, I mean, did people think he could really do it? It does feel sort of out of left field. Chat me up about Freddie Prince Jr. Joining the creative team. Well, first of all, as usual, Meltzer is so full of shit. His eyes and everything else about him is all Brown. Um, everybody knew about him and we knew that when he was interviewing, knew that when Freddie was coming in, Freddie had, well, did in, not in, have in, acting gigs coming in. In fairness, you knew because you were, you know, the inner circle, but perhaps some of the other writing, the, 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 as you would say, the underlings maybe didn't know. Well, maybe the, I don't know if the writer's assistant knew, but yeah. Michael, Michael, Brian, Ed, DJ, uh, all those guys knew. So the majority of the team knew maybe the person that gave Meltzer that information didn't know. I don't know, but that just kind of goes to tell you where they were on the rung of things. Um, but Freddie was not getting acting gigs. Getting, uh, he had stopped acting at that point. He had retired from acting, didn't want to really do it anymore, was looking for something else. So he was looking for a full-time gig. He was looking for something that would uh, distract him from from acting. He wanted to write. He wanted to direct and do other things. He, he wanted to get out of the Hollywood bubble. Well, and Meltzer would write that, you know, it's probably unlikely that he took the job because he needed the money. I mean, he's, he's done very well in that world, but he probably was a super fan. And he says the rap on him was, he was said to be outgoing, enthusiastic, and very much anxious to contribute. It was described that he was very aware of the current WWE product, but it was hit or miss when it came to discussions of major wrestling history. Is that fair to say in your time with him that Maybe he knew a lot about what was going on right now, but maybe he you know, didn't know much about Bruiser Brody or whatever. <laughs> Bad choice too on the, the, the people he knew he grew up in Puerto Rico. He grew up with his grandmother, watching wrestling with his grandmothers in Puerto Rico. He had an extensive knowledge of Puerto Rican wrestling and everything that he could get growing up. Freddie was and is a great guy. He's one of those people that, you could put Freddie Prinz in any room, anywhere in the world with any group of people. And I really think Freddie would win him over no matter what. He's that type of a person, very down to earth, kind of low key, extremely creative and a fun, just a fun guy, somebody that's really hard to hate, but he knew what the hell he was doing wanted to be a part of the team. Didn't, didn't come in like, Hey, I'm Freddie Prince jr. I'm an actor and I deserve special treatment. He came in just wanting to sit down in the war room and write TV. And that's what I liked about him. Still like him. Well, I do want to ask because Meltzer wrote that, um, people were sort of questioning his level of commitment when they got the report that he came to the show with a friend. And that he was being flown in and treated like an undertaker, undertaker level top star and Meltzer sort of freestyles in the newsletter. If he remains in Los Angeles and is only flown in for television, it's believed he'll probably last. 
if he's treated like every other person on the writing team, which means having regular meetings in Stanford, which include waiting at the office for six or seven hours, doing nothing until Vince is finally ready for them. The thought is he won't make it for the long haul. Obviously we've heard about, you know, how brutal it can be to sort of be at Vince's beck and call on the writing team. Was there a shared sentiment that maybe because he was such a big star, quote unquote, that you had to handle him a little differently? No, not at all. Okay. Uh, complete, completely the opposite. And Freddie was in the office with us. Freddie was waiting six hours for those meetings with Vince. Freddie did not just fly in from California for TVs. He, he was there. He was in the trenches. He was in the office more than I was. So, you know, that, that's just a complete skewed view of Freddie. That's simply not true. He was there and he wanted to be a part of that creative process and made himself a part of it. Freddie's there with the company until February of 08. So he makes it a little while, but not a huge run. We're talking end of July of 08 to then February of 09. Do you remember any ideas or contributions or is there anything you can point to and say, Hey, that was Freddie's remember. Hey, Vanson. No. Okay. Well, lasted two weeks. That was Freddie's. Um, Freddie had good ideas. I think that part of the frustration on Freddie's was everyone else's frustration, no matter how hard you work and no matter how many ideas that you come up with and Vince on Thursday or Saturday is woohoo. Yeah. Great idea that, by the time it comes to produce that on Monday or Tuesday, it's like, that sucks. And you're in the same boat with everybody else. Uh, and I think that's what frustrated, uh, Freddie the most more than anything else. He had, he had good ideas. He was, I thought that he was a good producer as well. I thought that he worked really well with the talent and the talent liked him. So, for me, what I wanted, what I wanted to learn from Freddie Prince was I wanted to learn more about his style of directing and producing and things like that. So, um, I just thought he was really talented and, and his only frustration was getting greenlit only to be crushed, uh, three days later. Is that why it ended? Do you think? I wasn't there when it ended. So I'm assuming at that point, that's what I've heard. That's what I've heard talking to him after the fact and talking to other people who were there. Obviously you were gone. As you mentioned, uh, you were out on your ass a few months after this show, but chat me up here. Did you guys, did he call once you were canned? Did you guys communicate with any regularity? Yeah, a little bit. And, uh, just stayed in touch and we, you know, nowadays we stay in touch via Twitter, but yeah, we, we, we did. He talked to me and he talked to me after I was fired, expressed, you know, he was sorry I was gone, called me after he left and we stayed in touch for a while. Yes. Let's talk about where the business is in September of 08. And I guess we should talk about the overall state and not just the pay-per-view because we did a September to September review for unforgiven in both years. But in September of 07, the average attendance at a WWE show was 3917. It's up 22.5% the next year, over 4,800 in the stands for those shows. That means your gate's going up to 24.9%. You went from 137 and change to 171,000 and change. 
And now let's talk about ratings. You know, it's not nearly as important maybe as during the Monday night wars, but ratings are not where you might hope they would be in September of 07. You guys were averaging a 3.57 and now in September of 08, you're at a 2.95 and SmackDown is seeing a similar trend, but not quite as drastic. You go from a 2.65 in 07 down to a 2.38 in 08 ratings are down, but the gates are up. Is there anything we can gather from that? Yeah, because this was the introduction of the DVR and cable companies, direct TV started putting DVRs in people's homes where before you would have to tape the show, what that did to the rating system in some places, if you DVR to show, then you got credit for someone watching the show. Some people, you didn't get credit for that show until they actually watched it. And they had to watch it within, originally, I think it was within four days or six days. I I don't really remember the mechanics of it all. But that's where the plus three and plus seven and all that came from. So if you record a show, you don't watch it, and then you go back and watch it within three days, that counts to the plus three ratings, overall rating. And if you watch within seven days, that goes to the plus seven ratings. Ratings were going down because people were starting to DVR the shows and we weren't getting credit for how many people might have watched the show. This was a confusing time and we didn't understand it for probably a couple of years. And then viewership just kind of overall went down. Yeah. It's weird to hear you sort of hang your hat on DVRs there because I was using a DVR long before this, but I hear you, maybe this is when it become, it becomes more common, you know, sometime in 07. And that's certainly where we see the difference in 08. Let's talk a little bit about, and this is something that we get lots of questions about Mike Adamley at the end of that July 28th raw, the same one where Freddie Prinz is joining in Shane McMahon would name Mike the new general manager of raw. Um, I think everybody remembers in January of this year, 2008 at the Royal rumble. That's when Adam Lee began working as an interviewer and he called Jeff Hardy, Jeff Harvey. He would go on to replace (laughs) Joey styles as an ECW commentator on April 15th on April 29th. And you've told the story before he leaves the broadcast before the main event and his partner Taz is there to sort of figure it out. Um, chat me up here. Him as a GM, he promoted a bunch of high profile matches that he would dub Adam Lee originals. What do you remember about Mike Adam Lee as the general manager? For whatever reason, I think that people did not like Mike Adam Lee and they didn't like, they didn't like his commentary. They didn't like Mike for whatever reason. Um, replacing Joey styles. I don't know. And at this time as well, Mike was not, you know, he wasn't a good interview guy. He wasn't, um, we should, I guess we should explain who he is here. Cause there's probably a lot of people who are like, who the hell is this guy? He played in the NFL for the bears, the jets and the chiefs. But then most famously in my lifetime, I remember Mike Adam Lee as the commentator for the show, American gladiators. And that's always what I'll remember him for. And so while a lot of my friends weren't really fans of him and his involvement in wrestling, 
I always remembered him from American Gladiators, which was awesome. I mean, anyway, tagging you back I, I, in here. Yeah, and I, I remember Mike from the Bears playing with the Bears, and then later on he was a sportscaster for a local station in Chicago. But Mike we had used as a, a host for a boxing show that we were going to do with uh, Tex, uh, Tex Cobb, Randall Tex Cobb. Many, many years ago, like 1987, 1988, around that time that fell through. So there was always an arm's distance. There was always a relationship with Adam Lee for all those years. He had a great look, sounded good, but Mike wasn't good off the cuff. Mike was really good if things were scripted for him and he had a teleprompter in front of him and he could read, but he wasn't good off the cuff. Mike had come back for the XFL, and we had him as a sideline reporter during that time. So we we had, you know, just there was that relationship there, and Vince liked Mike Adamley. Uh, it didn't work out on commentary, so we thought the people, the audience for the most part, did not like Adamley. When, when he would walk out on stage, man, people would boo just his presence for whatever reason. So Vince said, why not make him a, make him a character, let people hate him and make him the general manager. That was, that was all there was to it. Well, let's, uh, let's talk about how it comes to an end for him. I don't know when we'll talk about it again, but the October 27th episode of raw, which is obviously after what we're discussing, uh, he would slap Randy Orton after Orton insults him. And the following week during an in-ring segment with Shane and Orton, Adam Lee would resign his position as general manager and Meltzer wrote that ultimately this is a Vince call that he saw traits in Adam Lee, similar to those of Eric Bischoff and Meltzer can't help himself and says, well, they were both lousy wrestling announcers, but I think the similarity may in there, but Dave does go on to write that Vince thinks that they both come off very smarmy. And he also believed that Adam Lee had what he called incredible verbal abilities, but he never really learned how to talk in the pro wrestling speak. And that's why he's been frustrated. And it was written in the observer that he was originally hired to replace Jim Ross on raw, but the new GM role is maybe a better fit for him, but it might just be McMahon trying to find a way to justify a $300,000 a year salary for what is essentially part-time work. <laughs> oh God. You know, I, I, I love how people just make things up and Jay, you know, Meltzer's just sitting here speculating and making things up as he usually does. Mike was brought in as someone that was going to be an interviewer. And from there, Vince kept trying to find things for him to do. And, and that part you know, it's true. It, it wasn't, he didn't want to bring him in as a play-by-play -play guy to replace Jim Ross. That wasn't because that wasn't what Adam Lee did well. And Adam Lee needed to be in front of people with kind of a scripted story, if you will, to really be able to do his stuff. But, uh, it was nowhere near, and I, I'm not going to say how much it was, but it sure wasn't anywhere near $300,000 and where he gets his information again is, is completely bullshit and wrong. But Mike, Mike just didn't fit and try as hard as we did and try as we may to put Mike in there. I enjoyed working with him. He tried, 
we we later found out that that Mike had you know some other issues that were going on. Um, yeah, we should just talk about that now. I, you know, he he's been diagnosed with dementia. Doctors think he has CTE. You know, being an old football guy, you know, what can you say that that is certainly something we're learning more and more about. So perhaps you know uh, where a lot of us pointed and had a, a ha ha. We may have actually yeah. seen a guy really struggling in real life with a real issue and we didn't know it and he didn't know it. So some of that doesn't necessarily age well. And we hope that Mike Adam Lee is doing well. Yeah, exactly. And like I said, he had, he had had issues in the past, uh, substance abuse issues in the past and been in and out of rehab before. So we, we thought it was that. But as we later found out, yeah, it was the, the dementia. And I guess he's got onsets of Alzheimer's and all that fun stuff that uh, will hit you quickly and you don't know what's going on. So it was just not working for Mike and it was time to make a move. Let's talk about what's going on writing wise. Um, during this time, I guess Ed Kosky is the head writer for ECW and joining Michael Hayes as head writer of SmackDown and Brian Gerwitz was the head writer of raw. So you've got, you know, three tenured, well-established, knowledgeable WWE guys here sort of manning the ship. All three, very well qualified and all three, very good at what they did. So it was. You know, Ed had been partnered with Brian for a long time on Raw, and now Ed was able to take ECW and do with what he wanted to do with that. Um, Michael in charge of SmackDown, which was a lot of fun, and and Brian, of course, still, still in the Raw helm. The frustrating part, I think, for Michael was there was a time that Michael actually believed that at the end of Thursday night, when we would have our late night meeting with Vince talking about SmackDown, that Vince said, yeah, good show. God damn. I love it. That that was the show that was going to take place on Tuesdays. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that just wasn't the case. It was, ah, it's a great show. I got to go work out. And then I'll look at it on Tuesday morning. Let's I'll rewrite it with Bruce on Tuesday afternoon. It'll be fine. Let's talk about the reason I wanted to sort of mention who's sort of heading up creative is I guess it's time for us to have this debate. Let's talk about CM Punk. Meltzer would write the original plan was for Punk to go heel and win the money in the bank later in the year. But the suggestion for Punk to win the, the title, the way it went down, didn't go over as well as they may have hoped at first, but there were arguments made that the company needed a youth movement and to shake things up. And that punk is the guy to push more than anybody else who sort of checks those boxes. And a lot of people sort of hang their hat on the fact that he is the right guy because he sells far more merchandise than anyone else in his position. And Vince McMahon greenlights punk winning the title. And then suddenly everyone in creative was 100% behind him. That's directly from the observer. The producers, on the other hand, were very quiet when they were told because many of them didn't think highly of Punk's work, but none of them would ever argue against events directive because everyone's sort of job scared. And as we've all heard, Triple H behind the scenes was not a supporter of Punk's dating back to his arrival in the company. And he's joked that 
they now need to turn Michael's heel. So punk can have someone who can work him through a world title match. Chat me up here about the positioning of CM Punk, because we're going to see on this show, and this is a pretty controversial moment. We're going to get to later. He's the world champion and drops the belt without ever getting in the ring all on the pay-per-view before we talk about that. Talk to me about how this direction with CM Punk came about and how on the money or off base Smeltzer is here. Well, no different than what we talked about in the CM Punk show available in the archives is that CM Punk was somebody, he was on the rise and someone that the television studio, which is a much younger group of guys really liked. They, they liked CM Punk for whatever reason. If you were to ask someone like me or Vince, or I even dare say Michael Hayes, what's the appeal to CM Punk? We couldn't tell you until I took him up and sat him down and, and you actually take the time to get to know someone. Uh, John Cena's out, you know, as I said, Randy Orton's out, all these guys are out edge. You, you have, you have to make moves. It forces you to pull the trigger on some things and make some moves. So CM Punk was one of those that we did. And we felt that he, here's your opportunity. Now, you know, one door shuts for somebody else. It opens for you make the most out of it. And we went with CM Punk and really that's all there is to it. It wasn't, you know, much more thought than out of necessity with losing a lot of guys all at once and people being hurt that you got to put somebody else in there. You got to, you still got to play the game and you need players. So that's, that's how punk initially got in there from my vantage point, from me speaking, my opinion, I thought punk deserved it. And I thought that punk, uh, would do well in that role. Let's talk about edge. Um, Meltzer would write edge is the company's MVP. Once again, as an all around performer, and it's pretty amazing watching how much Guerrero has improved the edge Alicia Fox deal where he seduced her seemed to be a spoof of the edge to Amy Dumas thing from a few years back, which in its own way, because it forced the heel turn and put edge with Lita really put edges career into overdrive in the first place. I think that's a pretty common sentiment that folks maybe didn't expect how well this edge and Vicky thing, Vicky Guerrero thing was going to go over. Were you in creative surprised or did everybody know that this is going to be a hit and people don't realize it? I knew at the moment that we did the first vignette and I made the suggestion at the very end of the vignette for them to kiss and they went in and they not only kissed, but they kissed like they hadn't seen each other in a year and were uh, in deep, deep, deep love that right there told me this is going to work because for a minute I thought, man, these two got something going on. They both were just so professional and so good at what they did that it made a lot of sense. Has anybody like from a, a, a heat perspective, has anybody shocked you as much as Vicky did? I mean, she was able to. It, it shocked me, I guess is what I'm trying to say. The amount of reaction she gets from crowds. It's outstanding. I can't really even put my finger on what makes her so great, but it's unbelievable. Well, and again, seeing her backstage doing some different things. It used to be 
when we would use Vicky and the kids sometimes with Eddie and Eddie would come back afterwards and Eddie would be disappointed or, or something didn't go right. And Eddie would start to then go off on Vicky and the way Vicky would fire back on Eddie and how Eddie would backpedal told us, I remember Vince and I sitting at, at gorilla watching this one time going, Hmm, wow, that's interesting. <laughs> um, but never in a million years at that point, did we think, Hey, we got something in Vicky Guerrero. That wasn't even a thought, but it was interesting to watch how she, um, she held her ground with Eddie. And so we knew she had it in her. Uh, but God, yeah, she was a, she's a natural heel, man. She's great. Let's talk about Ric Flair. Uh, it comes out in early August that Ric Flair and the WWE are done. And it's something Flair has been thinking about for a long time, even though we probably didn't tell many people in the company about it. And this is interesting. The way this is worded quote, unlike many public amicable breakups that are anything, but at least from the Flair side, it appeared to be. It's hard to say from the WWE side as they buried the story quickly on their website and then quickly eliminated it. It was clear they felt they had to mention it, but didn't actually want people to see it. Whether accidental or not, the phrase about wishing him well in his future endeavors, which is a WWE trademark when people leave the company, was conspicuous by its absence. Still, there was no indication feelings were bitter as much as more of a reaction of surprise from a company standpoint. Virtually nobody saw it coming aside from the inner circle. Nobody was aware until the story broke outside of the company. When Flair's agents began contacting independent promoters on a Sunday afternoon about his availability and noting he was a free agent. He'd been considering asking for a release for a few weeks, and it was barely four months ago after the company had all but made him the symbolic greatest wrestler of all time. And Bruce, I do think that that's really what they were trying to do with his retirement match and hall of fame induction the night before and the big send off ceremony. But now just a handful of months later, that was at the end of March. Here we are at the end of July. He's out. Um, the rumor and innuendo is that Rick just thought he could make more money outside of the WWE because part of his contract, which I believe is like a $500,000 downside would mean that some of the money he would make from outside appearances, which WWE would have to approve a and B would be counted towards his downside. And he felt like he'd make more and do better for himself. If he didn't have to go through that filter of WWE's booking process. What do you remember about this? Essentially that was it, you know, going back to the, uh, if Ric Flair loses a match, he'll retire. That was something Steve Austin actually came up with. And it, it built into this whole thing. And Vince saw the retirement as being a big thing for Rick going into the hall of fame, being a big thing for Rick. And they thought that they would be able to use Rick just as you said, in a ambassador role and be able to have Rick flair go all over the world, representing the WWE as its ambassador and, and what have you. Rick saw that as I don't, Rick wasn't ready to retire and, going back to no one knew everybody knew, <laughs> you know, Rick told everybody that he was unhappy and that he, he wanted to leave. Rick wanted to wrestle and Rick felt that, you know, that's what he wanted to do. He, he retired too soon and, and he didn't want to be on the shelf. He didn't want to be the ambassador. 
So everybody knew it was coming, and Rick felt that on his own, without the WWE buffer, he could make a lot more money and made it very clear. So we knew that when his contract was up, he was going to go out on his own. And it, there, there were no hard feelings. He was right. You know, it was going out and go make your thing and and move on. We would have loved to have had him stay around, but he he was all about the almighty dollar and and finding out that he can make more doing that on his own. Did you ever, I know your relationship at this point, and we've covered it on the episode where we talked about, you know, when you left in 08, did you have a conversation with Vince about Rick leaving? We all did. I, you know, it was, it was what it was. There, there wasn't, Vince wasn't going to pay him and or change the rules for Rick. And Rick was steadfast in his belief. I can make more money away from here. And Vince was steadfast that if you feel you can make more money away from here and would be happier, then we're going to let you go. It was that simple. There wasn't a lot of debate about, oh, we've got to pay Rick more money to stay. I don't think that there could have been a dollar figure that would have been offered to Rick that he would have said, yep, that's it. I'll stay for that. He wanted his freedom. Let me ask this. You guys weren't really using him. And I know this is dumb for me to even ask, and you're going to laugh, but I just can't help it. You're making Mike Adamly a GM of raw. Rick's had that role before. Although he's retired from in ring work. Why wouldn't you try to use him in some sort of on air figurehead role? And then he still gets to be with the guys and be on TV and blah, blah, blah. I don't think Rick wanted to do that for the money. Okay. He, you know, the money, it all came back to the money. I think that he still felt that on his own, an independent Ric Flair doing commercials and doing his personal appearances would make more money without the WWE oversight. Let's talk about, uh, Mick Foley. Meltzer would write on the Foley front. His future as a SmackDown commentator is a current internal question. At this point, there's a good chance his days as an announcer on the show are numbered. If his contract expires, he would be available for TNA. Although we've heard zero talk on the TNA side regarding it. He actually got this contract when he told Vince McMahon several years that he had accepted a deal with TNA and McMahon was upset and offered him a great deal to stay, but the relationship has never been the same. Foley leaving WWE has been discussed by sources in the TV industry in recent weeks. And Foley even told the lying all in press. I can't say how much longer until my contract expires, but at this point there is a good chance through mutual agreement that I will not be renewing the contract creatively. The announcing job wasn't working out too well. What'd you think of Mick as a commentator and what was the sort of tone and tenor of his relationship with Vince McMahon at this point? Well, Vince and Mick always kind of had a love hate relationship in my opinion. And Mick was doing the commentary role on SmackDown. I thought he did a good job. However, anybody that does any kind of commentary role on any of the main shows, you have to deal with Vince McMahon in your ear and you have to deal with the constant production of say this, say that, don't say this, don't say that. And if you say the, instead of the, be ready to get your ass chewed out at the end of the night for it. So Mick didn't like that. Mick, Mick had never experienced that before with Vince in his ear. And 
felt that 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 wasn't for him. So the more, you know, we'd been through it before with Mick where he was uncomfortable with creative and wanted to do some other things. So it, it just was, just wasn't working. That That's what it all basically comes down to. He wanted something else and we all knew it. We knew that when Mick's deal was coming up, Mick's gone. Mick's going to go on and do something else because he didn't make it a secret. Right. Let's talk about, uh, where business is and it's not nearly where it is now. Have you seen the WWE stock lately? Wow. A little scary, isn't it? It's unbelievable. I wish I still had mine. I, I know so many guys up there who have taken this run this year as an opportunity to just pay their house off. I was having mortgage discussions with them a year ago. They don't have mortgages today. So yeah, good on them. Meltzer wrote in the observer that for the second quarter of 08, the company took in 129 million of change and finished with about 7 million in profits, but wall street's projections were 8.7 million. So the stock price actually drops from $16 and 96 cents per share down to $15 and 54 cents per share. And Linda is trying to head off investor concerns by saying that the company is trying to look at ways to lower its overall spending. Chat me up here. At this point in your tenure in WWE, are you involved in any of the sort of stock price meetings and budgetary meetings, or are you mostly handling creative and producing TV? What's your role here right before it comes to an end? My role here is pretty much overseeing the raw and SmackDown and, and being involved in both of those strictly creative. I didn't have any, any discussions whatsoever with any of the financials or any of the budget. The furthest thing from my mind. One of the things that was talked about a lot in this era was this whole movie division and how much money was being spent versus how much money was coming in and whether or not it was a worthwhile investment. Did you remember having a conversation with Vince or for that matter, Linda about the movie division and them expressing any sort of, um, concern regret, or was it always, this is just the way it goes, pal. No, I actually wanted to, I wanted to go to California. I wanted to be a part of the movie division. I wanted to learn film producing and directing film is a lot different than video and and now they don't even use videotape anymore, but, um, I wanted to learn film. So I had been expressing a desire to go out, start working on some of these movies and whether it was directing or producing, but just learn that side of the business. Never got to, but, uh, that, that was something that, that I really wanted to do. And it was something that Vince had told me that he was committed to doing. He wanted to have more projects from an outside uh, production company, more that they just produced, but, uh, or executive produced, but it was, uh, yeah, they were in the movie business, wanted to be in it. Let's talk about McMahon's millions for a minute, because that's a fun campaign that you guys did on raw where you're giving away a million dollars per week. So you've got, three and a half million in total expenses, which is the money itself. And then another half a million in advertising expenses. It comes out that McMahon actually reimbursed the company for the $3 million prize. Looking back McMahon's millions. Good idea. Shitty idea. 
I think it was a good idea. I think it was something that got a lot of people talking, man. It definitely got people in the industry talking and got viewers to tune in. You're giving away money. You don't have to do anything for it. You're, you're giving away money. And it wasn't something that as a public company for a creative, you know, creative idea, Hey, I know what to do. Let's give away money. And Vince knew it. We, we sat in his office in Stanford and, I remember sitting there and him asking, what do people want? And at that time, I remember gas being extraordinarily high, like $4 a gallon and stuff. And it was, it just was expensive. And people were all, every night, the, the news would start off with how much gasoline was. And I said, well, people want gas, Vince. Give them free gas for a year or something like that. And fuck that. They want money. And out of the blue, he says, what if we give away a million dollars? And like, okay, yeah, that'll work. He says, I'll have to pay for it. It'll have to come out of my personal money. He goes, I can't have the company do it, but I'll, I'll do it to get viewers. And that's how it started. Let's talk a little bit about, uh, and I think this is uh, interesting to sort of beat up television rights because it's clearly what's got the WWE stock on a run right now. And what a landmark deal they just signed with Fox back 10 years ago, it was written in the observer TV rights fees are up to 24.7 million from 23.9 million due to more money coming in from international TV deals, man. Wow. How crazy is that? I remember trying to get the, the cost of a day of taping under that 400 grand mark per day. That's your budget, man. You, you got to keep it under 400 a day. Times have certainly <laughs> changed. Check this Probably out. 400 grand, the gas, all them damn 18 wheelers. It's unbelievable what growth this company has seen. Meltzer would write in this same issue. The company has 218 million in cash and cash equivalents. Well down from the 265 to $270 million level for most of the previous years. Golly, what a different company this is now, man. Let's talk about the independent contractor issue. We haven't really ever talked about this on the show much, but going back to the mid eighties, there's been lots of people like Jesse Ventura who say that the wrestlers need to band together, create their own union. They're not really independent contractors. They're employees. They need to have the ability to have insurance and taxes withheld and other benefits, retirement, things like that. Of course, it never really happens. And there's a lawsuit popping up here. And one of the names attached to it is Raven. His real name, of course, is Scott Levy. And that's the name that most of us hear as being one of the sort of guys spearheading this effort. But there's lots of publicity about it now because Jesse Ventura, who's now on the bad side of Vince McMahon is out here talking about it again as well. And allegedly the reason he's sort of on the outs with McMahon here is he's been trying to schedule a one-on-one -on -one meeting with Vince and Vince won't even return his phone calls. And what he was going to try to present or pitch was you guys should back me in a run for the presidency. And of course, Vince McMahon wants nothing to do with that. Chat me up here. What do you remember about the falling out with Jesse and Vince here about the presidency? 
And then this independent contract issue sort of bubbling in the background. Well, as far as Jesse and wanting to run for president, uh, Vince was aware of what Jesse wanted. And I believe had already told him that the company was not interested in backing, not just Jesse, but anyone, uh, for president. He, he wasn't going to pick sides in it. Also, I don't think that Jesse had a chance in hell of winning. So why would you commit yourself, you know, in a public company and an entertainment company to endorsing one candidate, but you're endorsing a candidate doesn't have a chance in hell of winning, right? Uh, unless it's Bob Backlund. But Vince didn't want to get into that and didn't want to get into the political side of things. And and that's what happened with Jesse. And he told Jesse that Jesse felt that it was an opportunity for PR. And I don't think Jesse believed for a second he would ever win either. He just wanted the PR and he wanted the hoopla surrounding it. In regard to the independent contractor lawsuit, you know, that's something that I guess will continue you know, still goes on today. It will continue to go on until probably the end of time. Every single time it has ever been brought up before a judge and that it's actually ever gotten that far, it's been defeated. So I don't know. And I don't know enough about it to speak legally about what an independent contractor is and, and or is not and, and what those laws are that allow them to do that. So you'd have to ask a lawyer or someone that understands those laws a lot better than I do. All I do know is that in court, in front of federal judges, it's never held water, the case that people have brought against the WWE and has been thrown out every single time. It's always a debate, though, because a wrestler who's under contract to a company, whether it was WCW, WWE, or whoever, is given a schedule to work. They're told how to do their job and they're not allowed to take outside offers. So it does sort of sound like an employee. Unless that's in your contract. And and I think that's been the argument when the contract states that then, uh, and and, and again, I don't want to get into legalities because I'm not a lawyer and I I don't know it for sure. But when uh, there's something about when your contract states that you will be you know, no, I'm with you on all that, but I think really what we're talking about at the end of the day, and I could be wrong. So correct me. Cause what the hell do I know? But we're talking about like insurance and retirement accounts. Really? Aren't we? I, that's one of the things that they are definitely talking about. Well, so I guess what and, I'm, and what we, I'm, and by the way, as a company, WWE tried many times to get these guys and they had always helped them with finances and, and not always, but in later years, we definitely had financial consultants and people to try and help set all of that up for them and be able to help them get insurance as a company to try and secure that for the talent was something that was financially not feasible and also something the insurance companies wouldn't do, but they could do it on their own and we would show them how to do it. But you see a lot of guys, you know, even some of the guys who were living in DDP's accountability crib, going to crowdfunding to pay for surgeries. And most recently, Mr. Wonderful had to raise $10,000 on GoFundMe to pay his property taxes. Maybe if these guys were employees all that time, they would have had a 401k that they could have contributed to and the company matched it. Or maybe they would have had insurance and they could have had some of these surgeries 
handled ahead of time. And maybe it would have eliminated the need to sort of turn to dirty docks and maybe over medicate themselves. Is that way off base? No, I, again, it, it just goes down to what's feasible. And I, and I don't know what the law is on it and they, they haven't done it and they've kept the independent contractor status and that's, that's what it is. I do know that they've tried to get guys help and they've tried to, I just want to put right this in perspective. If you, if you work on the ring crew and you travel to raw and SmackDown and you set up the lights and you pull the cable and you put up the ring, you have insurance and you have a retirement account. If you do a no, 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 yes, they no, do. Most of the, some, some may, but most of them are independent contractors. At least they sure as hell were when I was there, but some, there are, some of them today are employees and, good for them, and they, they get insurance and they get a 401k. But if you do a 450 splash off the top and people bought tickets to see you figure it out on your own. Yeah. Well, not all of them do. And I know that a lot of those guys are still independent contractors from the ring crew guys and the guys that drive the trucks and things like that. So, and again, I'm not going to get into a debate cause I don't know who is an independent contractor and who isn't. And well, I don't when know you, what, when you were there, were you an independent contractor or an employee? I was both. So you had insurance because we, we talked about your wife and her medical situation last well, week. Yep. So you had insurance. As an office employee, yes. So the guy who writes that you do um, a chair shot to the head, he gets I never asked anyone to do that. Okay. You get what I'm driving at, though. Well, I know. Conrad, again, don't get get me wrong. I, I think that there should be something for the guys. And WWE, again, you're talking about then and now, and I think that they do a real good job of taking care of their talent now and making sure that all that is taken care of. It's, it's a different game. And I don't know that I, I, I don't know. I, I don't know what they're doing now to say, to compare one way or another. I know at the time, independent contractors are independent contractors and that's how they were viewed. So I, Let me and I know that from a court of law that every time that someone has come in and tried to get that thrown out, that it, it, they've lost. Do you, do you get any sort of, um, royalty whenever one of your old brother love bits airs nope. on the WWE network. No. Hypothetically though, if you were on a, a traditional television show and they aired a rerun, you wouldn't get much, but you'd get something in the mail, right? After a certain time. No, it just feels weird that wrestling for whatever reason is just viewed so differently. I don't know why that is, but it is interesting. Well, God, man, you, you know, you talk about crazy, go back to the and I'll only have to go back to the eighties as far for an example, but you go back to the independent promoters and the Vern Gagne's of the world and Jim Crockett's of the world, Bill Watts of the world that had television shows locally in their area. They sold all that. The talent never saw a dime. The, uh, um, the merchandise that was sold, the promoters kept all of that talent saw none of that. Yeah, but no, none of that. None not. of that. Yeah, but I feel like you're doing like the whataboutism thing right now, where you're no, saying, I, "Okay, this is I'm bad," but that was bad too. The business has come. Yeah. Well, listen, I'm not arguing that guys are making. I mean, we we started this section of the show by saying, "I know so many people there who have done so much better financially this year compared to years prior." I mean, I get it. I understand, but I do think that pivoting to well, it used to be shitty like this too. No, it's, no, no. What I'm saying is, is that. 
you know, since 1984, WWE guys got royalty merchandises. They didn't get that at Mid-South. They didn't get that at uh, Vern Gagne and Crockett. And those guys were selling images of them for years. And the talent never saw any of that. They would sell the TV shows for years. And the guys never got anything of that. Nor, for the most part, did they have any contracts that even said one way or the other that the wrestler would release their image. So the business has changed so much um, in a short time. And it's will continue to change, I'm sure. Let's talk a little bit about the way you used to look. We're talking about the way things used to be. Well, did you used to have more hair than you do now? Is your hairline slowly starting to move backwards? Got any bald spots yet? Well, now, thanks to science, baldness is optional. We're talking about 4hims.com. It's a one-stop shop for hair loss, skin care, and sexual wellness for men. Hims is going to connect you with real doctors and then medical-grade solutions to treat your hair loss. These are well-known generic equivalents to some of those name-brand prescriptions that you've heard about that are all going to help you keep your hair. We're not talking about snake oil pills or gas station counter supplements. All you got to do is answer a few quick questions. A doctor's going to review it and then can prescribe you the products you need. They'll be shipped directly to your door. And Bruce, this is something that, uh, you and I don't necessarily struggle with, but our good friend, Jay Z, uh, well, and there's a few more, wait, are you about to say that you're going bald? No, no, no. I got a friend of mine that I would give me a hard time whenever we would talk about for hymns.com and what have you. And I said, you know, if you actually go and visit for hymns, it's going to take care of that bald spot. And this was a few months ago. As a matter of fact, unbeknownst to me, he went to four hymns. He started to use their products. Okay. Cause he didn't have to go to the doctor. He's always on the road and he didn't have to sit in there and go through her. I got to get all my things. No, it's not Jr. Well, you just Another did guy. that. So you're going to, I know, a- I know. I realized that, but, uh, okay. I got it. When you, okay. when you, when you continued the mumble, I knew what it was. <laughs> If it's good enough for John Paul Shilna, it's good enough for you. Dude, you ought to see what happened in three months. You could, you could, it's like. He looks like the goddamn Teen Wolf. He's he does look wolf. like Teen Wolf. You got to take but it But it out. helps. And now he can't talk <laughs> enough about for him because, man, his bald spot is no longer as bald as it was. If you get it early, man, that's the trick. And then you kind of take care of your problem and continue to take care of your problem, man. And, and the beautiful thing about it is he got a free trial for only $5. That's why all supplies last. You need to see the website for full details. This would cost you hundreds of dollars if you went to the pharmacy and did it on your own. But now you can go to 4 slash WWE. That's 4 slash WWE. That's F-O-R-H-I-M-S dot com slash WWE. 4hims.com slash WWE. You'll be glad you did. Bruce, let's keep rolling here and let's talk about Bob Bowman. Do you know Bob Bowman? He was I don't on, know who the hell Bob Bowman is. Well, he was on the board and he was the guy who sort of publicly questioned the company's drug policy after the Benoit death in an interview with the New York Times. And now he's out. He's off the board here. But since you don't remember him, we'll keep it moving here. Let's talk about Randy Orton. Randy claims he broke his collarbone or actually rebroke it on August 10th. He had a motorcycle accident near his St. Louis home. 
And he'd only been riding a motorcycle for about a month, went around a sharp curve on a steep hill and a car veered into his lane, causing him to swerve and widen his turn. And then his motor motorcycle hit the curb and he's thrown off and knocked out in the landing. He rolled a while and now he's jacked up and out for three months. What do you remember about Randy Orton breaking the collarbone here? Well, I remember when the accident happened is just thanking God that he was alive because it was, it was kind of a scary deal, but that's pretty much what, what we had heard was that he had an accident and knocked out wearing his helmet, but had screwed up the, the collarbone once again. So here we are back in, back in the same boat of he's out again. Well, he's out again here, but he's not as out as Braden Walker, who was released on August 7th, uh, big daddy V the former Mabel and viscera. He's also released domino. Shannon Moore, Nunzio, former Little Guido, uh, referee Nick Patrick, Stevie Richards, Colin Delaney, uh, Rory and Robbie McAllister, Sherry, and the referee Wes Adams. They're all gone here. It does feel like uh, a major cost-cutting measure. In, in your opinion, is this in response to them not hitting the number for Wall Street and now they're just trying to shore up costs wherever they can? Or did creative have nothing for all of these folks? Well, it's cleanup time and it was time to go through the contracts, see who we're using, who we're not using. And if guys weren't being used on a regular basis, then it was time to cut. And that's just the real issues of running a business. And when you have all of this expenditure going out and they're not bringing anything in. It was time to, to clean up. And a lot of these guys, there wasn't anything creatively for them. And we've been carrying them for a while. Just time to say, thank you. Don't have anything for you right now. Nick Patrick is somebody I want to mention here. He had been out of action with a back surgery and expected to be back soon. But while he's out, they hire a bunch of new referees. And then in his first few days back from surgery, he's in a car wreck. He's injured again and back out. So. He's out of here. And so is coach, by the way, coach is going to leave the company and start with ESPN around this same time. Do you remember anything about coach's departure that you can share with us? Yeah. Coach was, that was all about just being able to have that opportunity at ESPN. Coach was a sports guy. That was his dream to work at ESPN and to do that. And when that opportunity came about, we encouraged him and we're really happy for him. No, that was a really good thing for coach at the time. I want to take a minute here and talk about a guy. I don't know. We'll talk about again, Marty Garner. He started with the Hardys, Shane Helms, Shannon Moore. He took to his website to write about his dealings with Johnny Ace. And he had done a match on TV, losing to Kozlov a few months back. And then he asked Johnny Ace if he could get a regular spot saying that if he was there full time, he could put people in the seats. And he gave a speech about how he didn't want to end his career without at least having a shot with the big company and asked why he hadn't been given that shot. And Johnny Ace basically told him, and he recounted all of this on his website that the company didn't think he could make them any money. And he told him he was a good worker and he carried himself professionally, but he had done the job he was asked to do, but he really didn't show anything that made the company any money. And they didn't think they could make any money with him. And of course, I think a lot of people remember him, not under his real name, but under the gimmick name, Champagne. Who remembers him as Champagne? Well, if you, if you were like a guy who kept up with the PWI 500 
and you kept up with the independent scene. I'm not saying he was on TV as that. Don't get me wrong. Um, but he writes about himself as sort of the forgotten beetle because all of his friends, Shannon Moore, Shane Helms, the Hardys, they make it. And Johnny Ace called him on July 23rd and asked him if he had started a viral campaign to get hired and put his email address in it. And he did. I can't believe this is real, but he gave fans Johnny Ace's real email address and asked fans to write in and try to convince Johnny Ace to hire him. So when he gets called on it, Johnny Ace calls him and says, dude, I'm getting 150 emails a day. And the talent relations department is getting like 250 from it because now people have figured out how to email everyone in the company. And then he said, I told you before, Marty, you're an average guy and I'm not going to hire you. (laughs) I don't know. Um, I don't know why he thought this was a good idea. I mean, clearly they were done doing business with him and he's not welcome at any of the shows and he hangs up on him. What do you remember? (laughs) This is like out of a movie. What do you remember about this? No, this isn't even out of a movie, man. This is out of a really bad sitcom. Yeah. Um, he was a friend, you know, he's a friend of the Hardys and, and Shannon Moore, and he was their, their kind of third wheel that would always hang around. Marty was, was a little smaller in statue. Nice guy. Look, I always liked Marty. I, I, Marty was entertaining and always telling jokes and, and different things, had long hair and Hey, champagne, baby. Um, but I, I agree hundred percent with John Laurinaitis. There, there was not a whole lot to do with him. He was, I, I didn't see money in him. I didn't see anything in him. Uh, I, I love to hear the story that Matt Hardy told us all one time that he entertained the rock. Uh, Marty did. So, he would always, you know, be telling jokes and everything. So the rock hired him as an assistant. So Marty goes out and he buys a computer and gets these suits and, and all this stuff and everything and comes back and brings rock, a a receipt for computer and office supplies and new clothes and all stuff. Rock's like, what the hell is this? He said, man, I got a computer. I'm going to be your sister. I'm going to do this. He goes, he goes, no, man. He goes, I, I just need you. Like, you know, if I'm on a, you know, on a set movie set somewhere, if I need somebody to go get me some, uh, some chicken sandwiches or some new shoes or something like that, man. And it's all you need is like a notepad, you know, if everybody take everybody's lunch order and shit like that. And I guess it, it kind of deflated, uh, Marty there a little bit, but, and, and rock didn't mean anything bad by it. Rock was just, he just needed a guy and thought that Marty needed a job liked him. He entertained him. So it made him a part of his entourage to, you know, go get him stuff. But yeah, Marty, uh, Marty's Marty. He is entertaining. I mean, he's, he's fun to listen to for a little while. Then you giving the email address. That's a bold move. Cotton. Let's see if it works. Well, that's, out for a, him. that's a stupid move. Let's talk about Sid vicious Meltzer reports that there's lots of rumors here in 2008 that the 48 year old Sid vicious is being talked about. Um, I can't believe this is real, but apparently, uh, 
Johnny Ace is the guy who has been putting Sid over a lot in meetings to creative and wants to sign him and get him a good spot. And as a reminder, he hasn't done anything really in wrestling since he broke his leg on that WCW pay-per-view nearly, I don't know, seven, eight years prior. Do you remember there being discussion in 2008 about the multiple time WWF world champion, Sid vicious coming back in? God, it seemed like every two years that Sid's name would come up from the eyes of big bastard. God damn. Look at him. He's so vascular. Uh, but to me, there was nothing unusual about this time other than it was that time of year that, Hey, Sid, what about Sid? (laughs) You know, especially when you've got guys that are on the shelf, you got guys on the bench and you need to, you need talent. So, well, Hey, what about Sid? Big bastard looks good standing there, but nothing, nothing really ever came of it. It is pretty amazing that it was even discussed. I guess we should mention, uh, you want to talk about some foreshadowing here. The company appears to be considering moving 24 seven from an on-demand pay-per-view subscription type service to its own television channel. They're doing a marketing study, which I sense was trying to present evidence to cable companies that people will switch from satellite or to satellite based on the ability to see the channel as a free service. Basically, it seems to be a step in the direction Vince has talked about needing for years now, which is a WWE television channel. The key to having that channel with national clearance for old programs is that if USA changes power and they don't want wrestling anymore, or my network goes down and nobody else is interested, they have clearance for their programming. This is in 2008 guys. Now we all know that the WWE network is going to become a thing. I guess we should mention 24 seven was a service that was offered on demand where you could pay, I don't know, nine, 10, $15 a month, something like that. And you could watch old stuff on like Comcast on demand. But this idea of a television channel, which you've told us you first heard from Vince in like 87 or 88, he's making a play for it in 2008 years before the WWE network would be a thing. And obviously it wound up not being on cable or satellite. It wound up being OTT, which really wasn't a thing in 2008. What do you remember about this television network survey they were doing? Just looking to at this time, it was looking to broaden that 24 seven because 24 seven for better. I, I, it really was, uh, I guess a pay on direct TV and uh, where they had the pay-per-view. So you could pay 499 a month or something, and you could get all your WWF fix. Vince wanted to just broaden that out and make 24 seven, a real network that was programming all the time. This was more on demand and something that, that you could do all the time. It was just one more step in, in actually getting that network and utilizing all the old footage and all the programming that we already had. One last thing before we talk about the actual show. And I know that we've covered all ground here, but this is really what I enjoy most about the pay-per-view shows. It gives us a way to just sort of talk about catch all everything else. McMahon is getting a little bit of uh, heat online in this era because of the legends of WrestleMania video game and the two names that THQ, the video game manufacturer really had the most pushback about that they wanted in the game, but weren't allowed to put in the game 
were Mick Foley, probably for fear of him leaving and going to TNA, and Randy Savage. The exclusion of Randy Savage in a video game in 2008. What's up with that? I don't know. I really don't know. But those were ones that, you know, Vince, and I know Mick Foley was something of he's not here. He doesn't want to be here. He's not going to get the, the video game either. So move on next. All right. We're finally here. Let's talk about it. Unforgiven 2008. We've got all the groundwork laid. Uh, you saw the show this week, right? For the first time in 10 years. I did. Let's, um, let's talk about the, <laughs> I mean, I guess this is really the whole show, the championship scramble match. The rules of it are pretty convoluted. The match starts with two superstars and every five minutes, a new superstar comes out. And then when all five superstars are in the ring, now the match is really heading towards its final stage or status to catch you up here. It's a championship match. So if there's two guys in the ring and one guy pins another, the guy who got pinned doesn't have to leave. He can stick around, but the guy who scored the pinfall, he's now the champion. Even if the guy he just beat was not the champion and whoever the champion is can change multiple times in the same match, but it's not official and final until all five guys are in there. What the fuck is this? Well, this was during a time where Vince wanted to theme all of the pay-per-views. He was looking to make each pay-per-view unique, different, and more importantly, themed. So this was concept kind of like Royal Rumble, where the audience participation was. They, they had a clock. They could count down. They could see everything that was going on. And you also guaranteed, you know, that, well, not necessarily a title change, but an 80% chance of a title change. If you heard that once, you heard it 20 times. Matt Stryker just drilled that constantly. Oh, my God. So um, it, it was an interesting concept. Here's the problem with it, and this is where I started to go kind of batshit crazy a little bit, was when Vince started on these damn themed pay-per-views, my argument to this was, great, I love the theme pay-per-view. I love the Elimination Chamber. I love Hell in a Cell. But that should be a one-match attraction. Yes, not over and over and over. So when we started doing, we did, I think we did the elimination chamber and everybody, everybody, every brand had a, a match in a, in a chamber. I'm like, by the, the second one, I'm done with it. I've seen it. I don't care about the third one now. Same issue with the scramble. But he wanted to try this scramble as a, as a theme to see if it would work, to see if it was something they could do for the future and be a yearly reoccurring event. Uh, it was something that Pat had come up with and it was always, yeah, damn Pat, you did the Royal rumble. Now do this, you know, come up with something else. And it was an idea that was thrown out there that he liked and we tried it and here you go. Here's unforgiven 2008. And it was based around the three scramble matches 
really, to me, it was really based around Sean and Jericho. That's the best thing on the whole show. And I think Jericho stole the show. I mean, we're going to talk about it, but still this whole scramble thing, you're going to, you're going to place the blame firmly on who Vince, the blame goes on Vince for having the whole theme of it and having three of them on one night. They only did it one other time that I know of, which was the bash in 2009. And it was for the ECW world title. Let's talk about the, they only did one match though, right? Yeah. Yeah. See, that is better than three of them. The, uh, opening match here, Matt Hardy wins the ECW title in a scramble match over Mark Henry, the Miz, Chavo Guerrero and fit Finley, man, run through that list. Matt Hardy just retired. Mark Henry's retired. Chavo Guerrero, I don't guess he's officially retired, but basically fit Finley now working behind the scenes from WWE. And then there's the Miz. It's uh, interesting to look back 10 years and see, you know, how things have changed. Well, you know what? And looking at this match on paper, I thought looking at the match on paper and thinking back 2008, I thought, oh, fuck. Maybe I can fast forward through this thing. I thought the match was great. Oh, absolutely. I'm not dumping on the match. I'm just saying it's interesting that most of these guys have now retired. Well, that too, but also look at them where they were in their career. Then Miz was greener and grass, Yeah, but he put in a hell of a show. It's worth mentioning. Miz has a totally different look here. He's calling himself the chick magnet. This is a different Miz than the one you see on TV. Now this is before Miz has been a world champion and main evented against John Cena in the worst WrestleMania ever, but still it counts. Go check it out. If you haven't in a while, this is early Miz stuff here and it's in Cleveland, which is technically his hometown, but people are still chanting for Matt Hardy. Yeah, but it was good. And and Matt was everybody in it was good. Chava was good. When fit Finley hit the ring, uh, it, it made me remember it looked like fit Finley from 40 years ago. Um, he was on fire and just looked great. If only he could have connected with the audience better somehow, but that was the match itself was like, holy shit. That's a hell. They're having a hell of a match. Two and a quarter stars is the rating that it gets. And, um, they note that the scramble concept was the brainchild of Pat Patterson and that they came up with it or he came up with it back in the year 2000. That's all said on air. I guess we should mention the match goes 20 minutes and four seconds, which Meltzer notes is the closest match to hitting the 20 minute mark. And, uh, what'd you think of the announcing here? Todd Grisham, Matt Stryker. Boy, you know, probably the same thing. It wasn't good. I just, and I'm a big fan of Todd and Matt Stryker, both, uh, with their work now, but I didn't, both of them were still early in their infancies and in doing commentary. It was what it was. It just was very forced and felt like, uh, they were being fed an awful lot, trying to get everything in. Didn't feel organic. Meltzer did not like it. Uh, as I said, two and a quarter stars. Um, I guess we should mention Mark Henry was the ECW champion coming into this and Matt Hardy leaves with the belt. Is this the ugliest world title in WWF history? The ECW world title. You didn't like that one. I like that one. It's the worst ECW belt ever. 
No. Oh, God. It's the best ECW belt they ever had. Are you but, kidding? That thing is awful. Oh, God. Versus the, the, the flat one with the little paint on it. That's the worst one ever. The original one's the worst piece of shit you ever saw in your life. When it was new, it looked good. When you saw it in its ragged state, maybe not, but that that's a monstrosity. It looks like a, a toy. No, it looked like a championship. Oh my God. I liked God. it. I, I really did like this version. We're going to post a picture of that on Twitter and let people vote because it's fucking awful. Ugh. And it, you know, during this time, the other thing that, you know, kind of caught my attention, I thought this was some of the best work that Mark Henry had ever done too. This is where Mark was coming into his own, in my opinion. No doubt. I mean, I would agree with that. I think this is when, um, he starts to really level up. Let's talk about Matt Hardy. He recently made an announcement after a house show that he's retiring and in the back on camera, he said something like we've probably seen the last of Woken Matt Hardy. And I think a lot of people are of the mindset that he's going to try to work with the WWE behind the scenes in some different capacity, still contributing to the business, but maybe not in the ring. What do you, what do you take of his, uh, impromptu retirement? Well, you know, I don't know if it's real or part of an angle or, or what it is, but I do know Matt's been hurting for a while and he's got an awful lot to, he still has an awful lot to give to this business. So creatively to be able to have him help some younger talent and be able to come up with some unique, if they will allow him and they allow some of these unique ideas to either succeed or fail, that's the key then I think that Matt would be a hell of an addition to the creative team. Let's talk about crime time. They're out next. They just stole an opportunity to have a shot at the world tag team titles against Ted DiBiase jr. And Cody Rhodes, Cody's calling himself the Prince of pro wrestling here with the ideas that, you know, he comes from a Royal wrestling family himself, lots of heat on JTG here. Um, match was pretty good. Meltzer didn't love it though. Gave it two and a quarter stars, but after they're able to steal a victory, when DiBiase reverses an inside cradle that Cody has, uh, looks like Cody's going to lose. And then DiBiase tips him over. And now Cody's in control of the inside cradle. They steal a win here, which is a fun finish. I hadn't seen that one in a while. And then afterwards, Manu makes his debut. Let's, before we talk about Manu, what did you think of the match? Well, first of all, when I looked at the match, this was four young talent that if you were to have asked me in 2008, who would be the future of the business, I could have pointed to that match and said, any one of those four guys, and hopefully all four of them, because they were all young, they were all full of piss and vinegar, and they all had bright futures ahead of them. If I had to pick one, I would have picked Ted DiBiase because he just had the look. He had it all. He was so smooth in the ring, man. I, I loved watching Teddy work. Um, as far as personality and size and the total package, I would have picked Chad Gaspar. <laughs> you know, um, These were all four unique, really great young talents that I felt had a ton of potential. Then, you know, the bell rang and, and I felt crime time was trying so damn hard pandering to the audience that they just, they didn't let it come naturally. They, they were trying, you know, please cheer me, cheer for me. Come on, get behind us. 
And the audience feels that. If you try too hard, they're going to shit on you. And they shit on Crime Time a little bit in this match. It was a solid match. It was a good match. Nothing special. But I, I did enjoy watching that that young Cody and young Ted DiBiase in this match. I thought they were, man, again, back in the day, I thought they'd be the shit and, and running the business right now. It is sort of interesting that of everybody involved in this, only Cody is the guy who really hangs in there and goes on to have success 10 years later. Everybody else sort of quietly goes and does their own thing. Right. And you know, like Chad, Chad's doing really well out in Hollywood. I see him from time to time. Um, I don't know what JTG's doing, uh, and Ted's doing his own thing, but Cody, um, true to the family legacy, if you will, baby is gone out there. And I think Cody's doing okay for himself right now. It's funny. Cause I don't know that anybody would have bet on Cody, but if you were looking to make a bet, then you should check out my bookie. Isn't that right, Bruce? Absolutely. You know, I always tell people, man, if I'm going to bet, I bet with my bookie because they are the absolute best bet this season. And they've been in business for years. They got great reviews online. Their mobile site is easy to use, not to mention they have in-game live betting and the best player perks in the business. And if you're into fantasy football, Conrad, you're into fantasy football, man. It's all about it at 1FMC. Well, you can even get the over-under on how many fantasy points a player will score each game. So, uh, you know, you win, you play. That's the beauty of mybookie.com. And right now, man, they're slammed with new betters, and they want to give everybody the best service possible. So if you're willing to deposit after 7 p.m. Eastern time, then they're going to give you an additional $25 free play on deposits over $100. That's worth mentioning again here. I want to I want to reiterate that. If you're willing to deposit after 7 p.m. Eastern, that's a critical part of this offer, but it's so cool that they're doing it this way. Make right. your deposit after 7 p.m. Eastern, and they're going to give you an extra 25 buck free play whenever you deposit at least 100 bucks. So join now, and my bookie will match your deposit dollar for dollar. They're just giving money away, guys. If you put in 100 bucks, they're going to match your deposit 100 bucks, and they're going to give you an extra 25 if you deposit after 7 p.m. Eastern. Now, all you've got to do to take advantage of this is use our promo code WRESTLE. And then you're going to be able to claim up to a thousand dollars in free play. So if you put a thousand bucks in, come on, man, they're matching it dollar for dollar. That's my bookie, M Y B O O K I E. And don't forget to use our promo code wrestle when you're creating your new account and claim that bonus. Check it out, man. My bookie, you play, you win, you get paid. And this, believe it or not, was the talk of the lunch table with uh me and you and layfield last week we were talking about my book yes we were because it's the only place to be man right now so do it use our code promo code wrestle dollar for dollar man and it makes watching the games more fun you know every saturday sunday more fun we've talked a lot about uh ted dibiase jr and you know how much you saw in him at least on this show Chat me up about Manu. I don't know that people talk about Manu enough. Why didn't Manu resonate with the crowd? Why don't we hear more about Manu now? Because, and I guess we should tell everybody, I mean, he's really a part of a a legacy family himself and 
he's not really there and he's only 33 years old. Chat me up. Uh, hell of a stud, man. I always thought that Manu was a uh, Manu was a hell of a talent, hell of a worker off a son looked just like him, but for whatever reason, and, and it happened after I left, um, just didn't click. He, he didn't click with the audience. No one really seemed to care, I guess. And he was gone almost as fast as he showed up. But the idea behind Manu and DiBiase, Cody, and Randy Orton was to have this, this legacy group of young talent, all second-generation wrestlers that were going to be the, the next phase, man, and the next group to run the wrestling business, if you will. And that was the idea behind bringing Manu in and making a part of this this foursome. It is interesting that uh, we don't hear more from him or about him, you know, off a of son related to Roman Reigns. You think we'll, we'll see more from him in the future with the WWE? More from Manu? Yeah. You never know, man. I, I haven't seen him since 2008. He was young then, so maybe he does have another chance to come in and, and make a name for himself. I was always impressed with his work. He was very well-spoken. That was the other thing about it was when people would talk about, oh, we're going to bring in another Samoan, and Samoan, they don't speak and they eat raw fish. It's like, mm. no, you know what? The kid, he was articulate, as is you know Roman Reigns, and... Vince, you know, wanted him to speak normally, I guess is, is the best way to do it. Not be an Island imbecile, which I think that sometimes the guys from the Island were portrayed as, um, hopefully, hopefully, I don't know, man. I'd like to see him back and see what the hell he's doing. Next up is the show stealer, man, Shawn Michaels and Chris Jericho. If you haven't seen this ever or in a long time, you should go watch it. Just so you can see the way they built to this, you go back to SummerSlam and you see Shawn Michaels come out and he's going to make his, I'm retiring. I'm going home speech. I've lost my spile 2.0, I guess. And he's got his wife in tow with him. Uh, the former nitro girl whisper and Chris Jericho interrupts. They get into a bit of a skirmish. Jericho rears back to punch Sean. Sean ducks the punch and Jericho connects in real life with Sean's wife. Now, of course that was the plan. And I'm sure we'll talk about that more on that SummerSlam episode one day, but he really hit her in the mouth and her lip is swollen and they're getting tight shots of it. And they had a match prior to that where Jericho had seemingly cost Sean part of his vision. And that was the reason for the retirement. So this is just adding fuel to the fire and we're off to the races. And they set up an unsanctioned match here. So you had the original match and then the SummerSlam where Sean was injured, uh, in storyline. And then the SummerSlam, Hey, I'm retiring. Nope. I punched your wife in the face. And now here we are in an unsanctioned match. And along the way, Jericho is in a suit and he sort of reinvented himself here. And he's saying he has no remorse for what he's done. And he wishes he could do it again. And of course this leads to the unsanctioned match, which has a not so great finish because it's supposed to only end by pinfall or submission and it's unsanctioned. 
and it still ends with a referee stoppage, but Meltzer loved it because the heat was awesome. The match is awesome. Four and a quarter stars. The buildup for this is a master's class of how to build a feud in wrestling. Is it not? It was, and it was something that was real. And it was something that I think everybody could truly feel and identify with when, when Jericho accidentally hit Sean's wife, um, it was one of the, first of all, it was scary because we didn't know how bad she was going to be hurt. You could see her lip and her face swelling on camera, um, before she ever got to the back and Chris was already in the back looking and going, Oh my God. Oh my God. I think I popped her. I popped her good. He goes, Jesus Christ. Can somebody tell me, is she okay? Is she okay? And he's looking down and he's, he's looking at the monitor and beside himself because he's so upset that, that he had hurt her. And on top of that, you're wondering, okay, what Sean's reaction going to be when he gets to the back and sees Jericho and he's looking at his wife who I don't know that Sean particularly really wanted to use her at all in this whole buildup and agreed hesitantly to do it. Now she's got her, her face all swollen up. So the reality of that, I think set in on everyone that a, that wasn't supposed to happen, but B it was great TV. No doubt about it. I dug it. Um, what'd you think of the match here? Thought it was too long. Yeah. Thought the match. What? Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think it could have been 10 minutes shorter and been just as good. Maybe better. I thought, you know, the story in the drama, uh, throughout was excellent. It was the audience was into it. The talent was into it. Every single thing about it was believable and something that the everybody was behind. I just thought it could have been shorter. T- give me 10, 15 minutes shorter, and I think it would have told a little bit better story and, and moved along a little bit better. How interesting is it that the uh, the elbow off the top through the table was still the big spot 10 years ago? Exactly. You know, because they made it. They made it means something. You had Sean go up and then put Jericho back on top of Cade and they made it mean something. That was the beauty of the match though. And, and as much as I say it was too long, the argument is made that the way that they took their time, they made every single movement, every single thing that they did in that match means something. So, for me, you know, you didn't like the finish or Meltzer didn't like the finish, whoever it was. I loved the finish because it was uncharacteristic to Sean yeah. and you wouldn't have called that. No, no, I, I didn't hate it. I'm just saying it is interesting that they go to such a, like Lillian Garcia is normally not featured in a big way running through stipulations, but she was here saying it's unsanctioned. And, you know, everyone's had to sign a hold harmless and it can only end by pinfall or submission. And I remember thinking right then, man, this should be a last man standing, but of course it's part of a story. It's not the blow off. They're going to keep going. And Sean would do a promo later saying he didn't know if he could stop and he doesn't want to stop, you know, 
Jericho hasn't seen the worst of it yet. So they're telling a great story here. And of course we, we got to see before the match, them taping up Sean's elbow saying that, you know, he's had a partial tear on this bicep and he could certainly re-injure it here, but it's unsanctioned. It was a great story, but I do think it was a little long and it does sort of feel weird 10 years later to have Lance Cade out there. It did. It, it really did because he wasn't a part, you know, when you watch it out of context, I guess he wasn't a part of that buildup. So they didn't foreshadow him, but storyline purposes, that was Sean's trainee. And, and I get it. Now he's going to be a Jericho disciple. All that shit makes sense, but it was weird. It was sort of thrown in there though. It didn't feel yes. like you said, there was no foreshadowing that, Oh, here it comes. And that that's right. sort of what we have grown accustomed to in wrestling that Anyway, it was an interesting story. And of course, Lance Cade no longer with us. And I'm sure we'll, we'll talk about him some other time. I guess we should mention that these guys also were part of an angle at the, um, great American bash pay-per-view. You saw Chris win by TKO a stoppage of the match. And then the night after backlash, Sean would pin Batista and Jericho was the ref. Uh, Sean's on a highlight reel with Y2J and. Jericho ends up putting Sean's head through the Jeritron 5,000. And that's where the uh, storyline detached retina happened. So you've got lots of build to get here. Lots of, um, influence from both guys. They both really like working with each other. And Sean even says that Chris felt like they should have made a DVD about this story because they put so much into it. And he said, and I think the greatest thing about the rivalry was that nobody had a game plan. It was just something that came about. And each week we, Chris and I would just get sort of get together and just do this process. We spent countless hours in the writer's office with these ideas. And I don't know if you can hear it in our voices. We really just enjoyed working with each other. Do you think this is one of the maybe best rivalries and feuds that nobody talks about it because it did happen in sort of a down era of the WWE? Oh God. Yes. Because it was too talented. that if you were to take them from their hot eras, if you will, when they were both young and Jericho emulated Sean and these guys were the best of their eras in so many ways. And for them to finally go against one another, this is what you call, you know, this is a natural, <laughs> they didn't have to do a whole lot of talking. They just went out and made magic every night. Talk to me about the reluctance or was there any to involve Sean's wife physically here? Well, from, from Sean's point of view, I don't know that Sean was comfortable using his family to be involved in things. And then the retirement, we felt it was important for it to be real, to get her out there. And when it happened and Sean, I guess, talked about in his book that there really wasn't a plan there wasn't a plan because both guys at the time, these were supposed to be kind of one-off matches. Okay, we'll do this match and then move on. But that damn match was so freaking good, you couldn't just leave it there. You had to come up with something more. So then you get to the retirement match, but in, in, on, the way, on the way to that, uh, Jericho pops his wife and she's got a big swollen lip and it looks great. You've got to get more than that. You, you get to the non-sanctioned match and, and you're 
you leave it, you want more. Right. And so it just, it grew. It was organic. It was, it, it wasn't planned out. It really and truly wasn't. And that's where, which we'll get into, I'm, I'm sure in this, uh, with the whole CM Punk thing, that's how we got to that point. I guess we should mention that no mercy the next month in October, we get another Jericho, Shawn Michaels match. This time it's a ladder match for, well, we'll see in a minute, I guess. Backstage, we get uh, DiBiase and Rhodes being yelled at by Randy Orton saying they shouldn't be proud of the win they got. They stole the win, but they establish, uh, Manu's name here. Chat me up here. what do you think of this sort of legacy storyline where you've got Randy Orton as the leader of all these multi-generation wrestlers? I loved it. I loved it. And, and I'm, I'm partial to it. I was a big part of it. So I thought it was great. I thought it was an opportunity for these four guys to be able to stand out. And as a group, they were stronger than any one of them individually. So I thought that it was a great opportunity for all these guys to be in a main event picture. Next up, we've got a WWE title scramble match with Shelton Benjamin, Brian Kendrick, Jeff Hardy, MVP, and Triple H. They got 20 minutes and 16 seconds. Benjamin and Hardy start and Meltzer were right. The crowd was dead. Then Kendrick came in. Hardy pinned Kendrick in seven minutes and 16 seconds with a face plant and became the champ. Benjamin used the pay dirt on Hardy and Kendrick saved, but that didn't make any sense. None. Uh, you know, there's lots of this None. in here. Eventually triple H is the final guy. And even though he's the biggest star, he dominates the match and he does it like these guys aren't even in his league. Uh, he uses a spine buster and a pedigree on Kendrick. Um, I mean, just fucking pedigrees all around. Uh, MVP got one. And anyway, you know, what's coming here. Triple H wins. And he retains the title here and Jim Ross announces that triple H had won the title for the 13th time, but later on the website, they correct it and say that he's technically still a 12 time champion because this doesn't count as a new reign three and a quarter stars. You know, when Jr is saying we've had a, a championship change hands, we've all over convoluted the fucking steps of the match. Have we not? No, God. Yeah. (laughs) Now for the second time in the same night, this is just also too. you know, no disrespect to anybody. Um, MVP has been super nice to me. Great guy. You hear nothing but great things about Shelton and Kendrick. And of course, Jeff Hardy is an icon now, but when you look at this in 2008, is it not pretty apparent? Which one of these is not like the other triple H is going over. But again, you're trying to elevate the other guys. Right. And the only way to elevate them is to put them in the matches and and put them up in there with top guys. We were, you know, as crazy as it sounds, when you look back at it now and you look at Brian Kendrick, we were elevating Brian Kendrick. And we were, we had Brian Kendrick with uh, Rickland Stevens. Um, uh, What was his name? Uh, Ezekiel Jackson. Yeah. His real name was Rickland Stevens who was his bodyguard and his equalizer. We felt that that was going to be a good attraction, uh, to have a smaller guy like Brian Kendrick and with big Zeke there. 
all of these guys was an opportunity to elevate them and, and move them on up. I just thought that it was nothing meant it, you know, and the other part about nothing meant anything to the last five minutes. It's a waste of time. It's, you know, I felt like when I was watching it this week for the show, I'm like, well, now that I understand the steps, I can just fast forward to the last five minutes. Right. It's like watching a basketball game. You only need to watch the last two minutes. Yeah. That's, I mean, that most of the time you're on the money there. And, and this, this, this had the same feeling to it because, you know, as you're, as you're going through this, all right, Shelton Benjamin's champion, this guy's champ. Oh, doesn't matter. Five minutes left when everybody's in there is the only time that it's going to matter. Jeff Hardy's the champion. Um, it just was tough. Well, what else is tough is coming into this show, heading to the main event as the world champion and doing an interview prior to that championship title defense where odds are against you, 80% chance you're going to lose the title when all of a sudden DiBiase, Rhodes and Manu all attack punk. Kofi tries to make the save, but they beat him down as well. And then Orton nails him with the punt. And Punk is out of his own title defense in the main event. Whose idea was this? God damn it. Sean and Jericho need a ladder match. What do you put on the ladder? Gotta have a championship on the ladder. That's it, man. Right there. They decided that these guys, Sean known for the ladder match. Maybe they wanted to do a ladder match, but the only way to really do it is with a belt. Gotta have a championship on the, for the ladder. What the hell are they fighting for? So as a result, Jericho, well, you know, what's going to happen. Jericho is going to lose his match with Sean, but then win the world title. So now Sean's got a new thing to take from him and punk is the odd man out. How did punk take the news? Confusion, <laughs> really confusion. And when you look back to me, Jericho and Sean did not need that fucking title. No. They needed a prop. They needed a prop for a ladder match. Okay. Um, but the sure as hell didn't need the championship. I thought punk needed the championship. I thought that the championship helped punk. Uh, but at that point it was needed for a prop to have a ladder match. So, and it is crazy. And as many conspiracy theories as people want to throw out there, that's, it's as simple as that. I guess it's worth mentioning. Punk wasn't even informed. He wasn't going to be in the match at Unforgiven until he got to the building. So he's been thinking he's in the match this entire time. And now when he shows up ready to go, nope. And he's told the reason they're taking it off of him is the Shawn Michaels, Chris Jericho feud needs the, needs the world title. And triple H has said since that punk wasn't positioned as the guy. And he also says he doesn't believe the title makes the guy, the guy makes the title and they're trying to use the belt here to make him. And punk has gone on record as saying, even though he was the champion, he was sort of invisible and he shouldn't have been because he's the champ. 
we've talked a lot about this in our punk episode, but watching it back here, man. Sucked. Yeah, it did. And, and also, you know, what sucked is you, you can see hindsight being 2020, you see the interview with punk where they jump him where, where punk's not even into it. Yeah. You know, he's, he's frustrated and, and probably upset all rightfully. So by the way, sure. Um, so you feel before, before they even jump him, it's like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to do this. It's whatever. Fuck it. And it, it did suck because it made no sense. Triple H has said, quote, well, you're going to become WWE champion, but really not really kinda. We're going to give this to you, but you're not really going to be the guy. We're not going to have you be the featured guy and you're not going to be in the opening segment or the last segment. You're just going to be a guy that has the title in the middle of the card somewhere. So we're not really changing your position. We're just giving you this to hold for a bit. And then we're going to take it away. It is sort of the way it felt. Is it not? Well, that's the way that it happened. And, and again, triple H wasn't a part of creative at that time. So if he told them that that's just him doing it, but it's, that wasn't our thought on it at all. And our thought on it for the punk thing was that the championship would help make punk <laughs> and at that last minute ladder, Matt gotta have a, gotta have something. And it was just, I know boss. We'll just take it off the punk. He won't ever have to lose it. That saves punk. Um, and they thought they were saving punk too, by the way, you're saving him by not having him lose it. And instead he gets a rematch in a steel cage for the world title a week later. Well, eight days later and Chris Jericho defeats him on raw. Yeah. It's just, it, it was, yeah, not, not thought out. Not good. Next up. We've got, uh, Michelle McCool and Maurice who go five minutes and 42 seconds. Uh, Meltzer would write the crowd was dead, but it was a whole lot better than Maurice's matches on SmackDown have been star and a quarter. What'd you think? I thought that it was a good match and it was two of the, two of the girls that, uh, were, fa- <laughs> were favorites of mine because of how bad they wanted it. And sometimes you would, I would go down to FCW Florida championship wrestling where the, we had the training facility and what have you. And there would be people who wanted to be in the business for different reasons for Michelle and Maurice. They want, they wanted to be the best wrestlers. They weren't wrestlers. They're both part of a diva search and what have you, but then they wanted to be wrestlers. They, they fought for it. And I just love their attitude and the match was okay. Was what it was five minutes. They didn't have a whole lot of time. It just was what it was. Big show comes out doing the uh, smiley face and asked to be put in the raw scramble since punk is out and they need a star. And he asked the fans if he should be put in the raw match and they cheer. Uh, but it's not really the response that anybody probably expected. Vicky comes out no longer wheelchair bound and threatens to suspend him for trying to do this raw match and calls him a big, dumb giant. Eventually the undertaker's Druid music plays and they see a coffin come out and show starts laughing undertakers on screen saying the coffin is to be her final resting place and asked if she would go voluntary voluntarily, or does he have to come out and do it himself? Uh, so it's like hard way or easy way, brother undertaker comes out 
Vicky tries to run. Show grabs her. And then out of nowhere, Big Show knocks out Undertaker with a punch. What'd you think? (laughs) I had forgotten about this. And I'm watching it completely thinking, well, okay, what the hell are we doing here? Um, Big Show, goddamn, he knocked. When he throws that punch, he can knock anybody out. And he and Taker, God damn it, it's it's they have great matches. Two big bastards going after it. And there you go. <laughs> you went from you know, went from Edge Taker to, to, to Big Show and, and Taker just just because. And there there was it felt like a lot of this during that time of just let's do this, let's do that. And it was out of necessity. <laughs> Because you had what you had in front of you to work with, and you didn't know when you were getting guys back to do other things. That's really not good. Um, eventually, I guess we should mention Undertaker tries to make a comeback. Show picks him up, rams him into the post, more headbutts, another knockout punch. Undertaker uh, is picked up and held so Vicky can slap him and then spit in his face. Meltzer would write, this reads much better than it was. The segment had shockingly little heat and it felt like it took 15 years to end as Vicky and show left in the background. You can see a lot of young kids giving them a standing ovation. So a bit of a miss of a segment right here in a pay-per-view. It does feel like this is more of a raw segment or a SmackDown segment than a pay-per-view. Does it not? Yeah. And, and the big thing I had on my sheet was way too long as well. Th- this could have been done in half the time. It, this whole show, what was it? Five matches, six matches, whatever it is. It, we could have had two more matches and it been a much better show and had some of those shorter and not had to do this. Cause this was a TV angle and it was not a good show. No, it wasn't. It really and truly wasn't. There were, you know, Sean and, Sean Jericho had a good match, but it was too long. The first match was a good match, but okay. Nobody cared. Let's keep rolling here and talk about our last match here. It's another scramble this time for the world title, JBL, Batista, Rey Mysterio, Kane, and Chris Jericho, man, this is pretty awesome. Uh, you know, the, the, the amount of talent in here compared to the other scramble matches, but, um, I don't know. I still hate the concept of the match. They, uh, they make an audible here because they only go 17 minutes and 15 seconds. And the rules say it's supposed to be five minutes between each new entrant, but they think they're running late. So they shave the intervals from five minutes to four minutes, but then they do a legit five minutes for the final segment, but they didn't really get that right. Uh, JBL and Batista open and next up is Kane and then Mysterio And, um, I don't know, man, this match only got two and three quarter stars. You got lots of talent. Are there just too many guys in here? I'll tell you when I watched it back, the thing, I can't believe I'm going to say this. Uh, the thing I realized the most is how much I miss Batista. Batista, Batista was a big star of this damn thing. Um, but also to me, so was Ray. And, and Ray was all over the place, but you're right. Batista was the megastar in there. And this was during the time when, when Bradshaw was having some bad neck and back issues. So he wasn't even a hundred percent. 
it just was, it was lumbering. <laughs> yeah. That's a great word for it. Jericho's the final guy in, he comes in at 12 minutes and he's still walking slow and selling the beating from the Shawn Michaels match. And he spends most of the match just selling on the outside. And then I, I did enjoy the finish. It looks like Batista has this thing locked up and Mysterio is going to try to surprise Batista with hurricane Rana, but Batista's going to catch him in midair and power bomb him. And while his back is turned, Jericho slides in and covers Kane who Batista just pinned, but Kane is still laid out dead to rights right. and Jericho hooks the leg. As the final count expires, Jericho has stolen the victory when Batista wasn't looking. So Batista is the monster. He's laid waste to everybody. He's cleared everyone out. But Jericho, that sneaky bastard, stole the victory. I love the finish. I think the concept of the match was shitty, but the actual finish was fucking awesome. The finish was great. And what made the finish great was the facials of Batista when Batista sold the what happened and Jericho sold the I'm the new champion and I just did this. I won. Those two facials summed up everything in that match and they made up for the lumbering throughout the night in that particular match. Uh, Jericho was great. Batista was great. I love the shot of, of Dave with his arms outstretched like, what, what? What the fuck? What just happened? So, you know, and it overall, man, I, I thought that the show was maybe the word for the show is lumbering. It was too long in spots and it felt like it, it really felt like it drug and I would have been a lot better only having one of the convoluted scramble matches and the rest of the stuff do some personal issues and maybe have a couple of other matches on the card. Well, it would feel better if you were using ageless male max, you need to go ahead and get your free bottle right now. Text the word slam to 79, 79, 79. You're going to take your manhood to the max. When you try this first 30 day bottle for free, all you've got to do is pay that shipping and handling. I want to repeat that it's 30 days free. Just pay your shipping and handling. It's a full month. All you've got to do is text slam to 79, 79, 79. It's going to help you boost all your total testosterone. You're going to see greater increases in muscle size, twice the reduction in body fat when you compare it to just exercise alone. And you're going to boost up that nitric oxide, which is handy everywhere. And you need to make sure you do this right now. Text SLAM to 797979. Of course, message and data rates will apply. Bruce, let's do some questions. We let the fans, the listeners of something to wrestle with Bruce Pritchard ask you some questions and I've got a few of them selected here. I'd like to rapid fire them. Are you ready? I'd be ready. Jared Robertson wants to know the main events seem quite lopsided one favoring the champion and one, not so much. What's up with that? Well, I'm sorry. You felt that way. I mean, you have to agree. This is kind of a, kind of a shitty show. I wasn't the best show. No. Andrew wants to know why didn't Vince use Kendrick more often after this match? I don't really know what, what happened with Brian. I, you know, I left shortly after, the, after this match, after this pay-per-view I left, uh, in November and Brian was somebody that we really wanted to try and make an attraction out of. So I don't know exactly what the hell happened. 
Tristan wants to know if the inspiration for the unforgiven name came from the Metallica song. I know on the surface that may seem a little silly, but Metallica really goes hand in hand with wrestling. And I'm sure a lot of the guys were big Metallica fans. The word unforgiven. Do you remember that having anything to do with Metallica or were you guys contacting them or in any sort of talks to use or license that song? No, not at all. It was more based on kind of the old Western. Okay. Brian wants to know what would be the argument for why Brian Kendrick MVP and Shelton Benjamin would have won the title. Because anything can happen in the WWE and I, it was un, <laughs> and it was unexpected. So I knew you were going to say if anything, because that's a Vince McMahonism. Exactly. Let me ask you this. If Vince gave you the choice of saying, you've got to pick one of these three guys. This is a question from Brian Wiseman, by the way, you've got to pick one of these three guys, Brian Kendrick, MVP or Shelton Benjamin, and they're going to be your world champ. Who would you have done? I'd have put it on Kendrick with big Rick in his corner. Sean wants to know how are those guys picked for the SmackDown scramble? It seemed like an odd group considering undertaker, big show Morrison and others could have been in it. I think if, if you watch the, just the overall storyline of everything that was going on at the time and giving, you know, people, different people, different chances, that was the storyline behind it. Here's a, an interesting question here. How far did Bruce feel the Brian Kendrick character could have gone? Well, as I said, I, I seriously could have seen him as the champion with Big Rick in his corner. And he was, to me, an unmasked Rey Mysterio. He could do it all. Plus, he had the personality to pull it off of being a big mouth, smaller guy with the big muscle behind him that could win anytime against anybody. Lewis Turner thinks this is one of the cooler posters. Uh, if you haven't seen it already, it's got Batista on the cover here. Do you have a favorite pay-per-view poster comes to us from Lewis? No, uh, WrestleMania five mega powers explode. The drawing of the two guys. Yes. Yeah. That's a good one. Um, Kevin wants to know, was Matt Hardy always the choice to win the ECW championship or any other name seriously considered it at that time? It was Matt Hardy. We talked about keeping it on Mark Henry cause Mark was on a roll. But, uh, those two were pretty much your top runners. Corey wants to know MVP seemed to have a fast track start to his career. Why did he never become world champ? Just didn't happen. Not everybody can be world champion there. Corey, uh, Steven wants to know MVP used to say ballin. I'm interested. What does Bruce thinks this mean? And what did Vince think that this meant? Ballin was that he was a great sports, great at all sports. He was ballin. That's what I thought it meant. You know, no idea. you know, that's not accurate, right? Okay. What is it? Well, now that you've got all this, something to wrestle money, you're balling. You know, you're getting your new cars. You're buying the big car? You got the last year. It was two years ago. No, you got you and the wife, brand new cars, fresh off the lot. Still, you got that something to wrestle money now. So you're balling. Okay. It's just funny to me that you had no idea that you thought it was about sports. I did. Uh, Russell wants to know why was the WWE spinner held on so long after Cena lost it? I feel like the spinner sold a lot of belts. There you go. See, I feel like so many people overlook the business part of this. So yeah, I'm right. In theory, we all, I mean, Bruce, I hated the spinner. Did you like the spinner? Loved it. No, you didn't. As a wrestling purist, you didn't like that fucking belt. No, I loved it for what it was when, when we did it, because it was all about Cena. Oh, sure. Similar. I, I loved it. I didn't, I didn't like keeping it. 
like the million, I understood why we can't. like the million dollar belt, perfect for DiBiase. Right. The, the rattlesnake belt, the smoking skull, perfect for Steve yeah. Austin. However, for everyone else, it kind of fucking sucks. And that's sort of like I knew the answer, and I just wanted to take a minute to talk. Listen, I hope you have a great podcast idea, and I hope you have a lot of fun. But if you want other people to pay attention to it, and I mean, you have a business plan. How are you going to monetize this thing? All right. Ricardo wants to know, why didn't Shelton Benjamin ever get a world title program? He was red hot when he beat triple H in his raw debut. That's a great question. Cause I'll tell you one of my favorite matches of Shawn Michaels on raw ever is when he super kicked Shelton Benjamin to, to, for the finish. I mean, there's so many cool little moments like that with Shelton Benjamin, but he never really got there. Is it the lack of the promo ability? Lack of promo, lack of personality. And Shelton Benjamin is one of those guys guilty of having a great personality outside of the ring and not being able to translate uh, on camera. One of the greatest athletes I have ever seen in my life. Probably a better athlete than Brock Lesnar. And he wow. was one of Brock Lesnar's coaches. Uh, John has an interesting question here, but I'm going to change the name Bruce to somebody else. Would Dusty prefer his championship scrambled or did he like him sunny, sunny side up? Or over well. Baby, I kind of like them a little poached, but they're, like, they're soft all over. And when you cut on into them, you get to run a goo goo all over the place and get, get a little yolk on everything, if you will. They're so nice and tender, steaming hot, babies. Ethan says, I always felt like once Punk won this world title, it became more of a secondary title and it lost the prestige it once had. Do you agree? I no, I don't. I, th I think that it, it just was timing, and I think it was a matter. It was a matter of creative. That's on us. I mean, that was on us. Not you know, not doing more to make the championship more. So you're you're battling a lot of different demons, and it sucked. Well, what didn't suck is our revisiting of this topic, and we've got a whole lot of new ones coming your way. We gave you the rundown last week, but Bruce, I do feel like we probably ought to mention the rest of the lineup one more time. You cool with that? Uh, go for it, man. Next, uh, I got it right here in front of me next week. And you can ask your questions today on Twitter or Facebook. We're covering breakdown in your house, 1998. And that's something that I didn't really think that we were going to get to cover this year. Uh, but I'm glad that we were able to fit it in here. September 27th, 1998 is when it went down and you'll be able to hear it here. On September 28th, almost 20 years to the day on yep. top, we've got Kane and the undertaker, uh, working with, uh, Steve Austin in a triple threat. So that's your main event. And guys, you know, remember too, that we're not just talking about the one card in the one night. We're talking about all the business around it and building up to it. And after the fact, kind of like we just did here with unforgiven. And so uh, somebody said that to me, I don't want to hear about just one, one card, one match. What, what, we've never done well, that. Listen to ever. the show. <laughs> yeah, we've never done that. Exactly. Uh, next up after that on December, not December. What's wrong with me? October, October 4th, 4th. We're doing Carlito and that's very near where he debuted on TV. And it is an interesting story to me because it feels like at one point he's got such an upside and then maybe not so much. Uh, Rikishi is the following week on October 11th. That's going to be on Rikishi's birthday. So we're looking forward to talking about a character who had many different iterations in the WWE. So that should be fun. December 18th judgment day in your house from 1998. 
this is one that, um, a lot of people are going to be talking about, I suspect, but what everybody is going to be debating beforehand is our October 25th show when Hunter married Stephanie Bruce, what should we expect on that? The beautiful matrimonial bliss and what have you of that. You know what I found recently is uh, I've mentioned it a couple times is the coin that you got when you entered the compound for the weekend, you had to have this coin on you at all times to prove that you were a guest at the wedding. Cause there's so many paparazzi and so many people trying to sneak onto the grounds. Um, November 2nd, the hardcore championship and Daniel pewter, both are anniversaries. We didn't feel like we could do a full show on either one, but we get tons of questions about the Daniel pewter incident with Kurt angle. Why more wasn't done with him. Of course, the whole tough enough story. And then the hardcore championship, lots of people want to know when are you going to tell the full story? I don't think we can get a full show out of either one. So we're going to squish them together here. What might we expect on that one? Well, you know, Daniel Peter is a very polarizing individual. And I think that people thought based off of one night and one incident that, oh my gosh, there's so much to do. And we'll explain why in reality you saw it. It's over. It's done there. There was nothing left. There wasn't anything to do. William Regal is up on November 9th. That's around the time he won his last intercontinental title. And, uh, he said quite the career that I look forward to us talking about because we'll get the story of the, the real man's man and that whole character. Of course, his time as the GM and just everything on William Regal, one of the more interesting characters in wrestling. November 16th is Survivor Series 1998. Probably the best story ever told on a single pay-per-view, don't you think? Maybe Vince Russo's best work ever? Yeah, I really do. Because it was it was a culmination of a lot of stories that came together and the swerve, bro, and I thought it was good stuff. November 23rd, well, actually the 22nd. We're going to give it to you Thanksgiving night. It'll be a Survivor Series 1988 watch-along. And Bruce, we got a lot of feedback and I want to try to figure it out. I'd love to find a spot to slide 1993 Survivor Series in here. There's so much meat on the bone. That's the one where Terry Funk leaves. Of course, Jerry Lawler was supposed to be there and then he wasn't. I mean, we'll try to find a way to slide something in there. Maybe catch us on Patreon, patreon.com forward slash something to wrestle. Lots of bonus content coming your way, as well as footage from some of the live shows like this past weekend. November 30th, we've got Christian on tap December 7th it's in your house Degeneration X that of course went down in 1997 and that should be fun uh, rock bottom the in your house from 1998 will be on December 14th on December 21st we're going to do a watch along where we have you join us to watch the December 22nd 1997 episode of raw this is where Stone Cold Steve Austin gives a stunner to Santa Claus the following week, December 28th, is when Mankind is going to win the WWF title. That was taped on the 29th, and it actually aired on the 4th of January, of course, famously. That's when Tony Schiavone set butts in the seats, so that should be fun. And then another watch along on January 4th, Saturday night's main event. It's January 2nd, 1988. We're kicking an old school for Hulk Hogan and King Kong Bundy on NBC. Lots of fun stuff coming your way, Bruce. I'm ready for it. My body is ready. 
Your body is ready. My body is ready. What about your mind? Is your mind ready? No, it's is a little. Your mind going to be blown. It's a little mushy because I've had to watch this shitty show from 10 years ago and then talk about it for two hours and 15 minutes. That was fun. It was fun. But this show wasn't shitty. No, our shows are. Our never... show wasn't. That show was. Unforgiven 08 was the shits, but hey. Lots of fun stuff that we never really thought we'd get to talk about here. All the stuff in the I... newsletters about Freddie Prince and all that. You never know what you're gonna ex- what you're gonna get. It's like a box of chocolates from Forrest Gump with this show. So- I got to tell you though, going back and, and doing my research and talking to some other folks that were there when I mentioned this show, the the first reactions. Oh. <laughs> so it was universal. It was a universal groan across the board. Well, hopefully nobody's groaning after they've heard our take on it and sort of the news and the rumor and innuendo from the era. And we're looking forward to being with you right here next week. And I should mention over the weekend, we're going to knock out two, count them, two bonus episodes for Patreon. If you haven't already, check us out on Patreon. You can get more great content uh, at Something to Wrestle's Patreon. That's patreon.com forward slash something to wrestle. And I already know what the topics are. So I'm pretty excited about that, Bruce. I'm digging it. I like it when we have fun. We're going to have some fun there. And then of course, we're going to have some fun in Nashville next weekend. Tickets are sold out, but, uh, we're hoping to come back to Nashville very, very soon. In the meantime, pick up your tickets. Come see us in Boston, man. Kowloon. You can just call the restaurant Kowloon or go to brucepritchard.com and follow the directions there. And don't forget we're coming across the pond, man. More fun than you can shake a stick at this December. And before we get there, we'll be in LA and in Winston-Salem. Tickets for all of these shows are available at BrucePritchard.com. He is at Bruce Pritchard. I am at Hey Hey, it's Conrad, and we are out of time. We'll see you next week right here on Something to Wrestle with Bruce Pritchard. John brings his skewed sense of humor. Jeff brings tips to cut strokes off your next round. Together, it's those weekend golf guys. They'll pay a lot of money to PXG and Titleist and Callaway and on and on and on. Right? How many yards do you think you're going to pick up with that extra? I think I can get an extra five to ten. What if I give you 15 to 20? <laughs> you pay me more. Jeff Smith right? teaches on the sliding scale. <laughs> those weekend golf guys, the podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B L E A V on YouTube or wherever you listen.